0: The Lord is pushing us in the spirit to grow up in the fundamentals of our relationship with him and the fundamentals of being like Christ. Because whenever you see inconsistency in an operation, there's a failure in the fundamentals somewhere. If you get a manifestation sometimes and you don't get it every time, the fundamentals have been lost. Somewhere there's a fundamental principle that you have not developed in or you haven't stayed true to over the long run. Because sometimes you, you, you pray and you receive. Sometimes you pray and you don't. And that's not supposed to be that way. Sometimes you, you're on fire and you're getting revelation and then you go a whole season where it's like God not talking to you at all. He's still talking to you. doesn't always feel the same. I know I go through periods where it's like, every time I crack my Bible open, heaven just explodes in my face. And then sometimes you can go weeks where it's like, man, I'm just trying to get something. But God never stops speaking. But our the way we hear can transition through seasons. And one of the reasons that that's done that way is so that we can learn to work with God. Because if you fall back on your back every time you open your Bible, you won't get much work done. You'll feel good, but you won't get much work done. One lesson that I've learned being consistent going to the gym is not every exercise feels the same. Sometimes you go and you feel like, man, I just wasted my time. You didn't. But as you get to new levels of fitness, your current workout gets less rewarding. And usually that means you got to lift heavier, you got to do more reps, you got to switch up your exercise to keep the challenge up. Because a lot of times we drive on that sense of accomplishment, not realizing that the body is going to do what it's going to do. Whether you feel like you had a good workout or not, if you showed up, you had a good workout. And there are days where you go and it's like, man, I feel great. I feel like I could punch through a wall. And I love those feelings. I love those times. But you have to be consistent when you don't feel that. Same thing happens in the word of God. So, you know. Sometimes, when I'm studying, especially for you guys, I'm, I'm always digging for what I believe is going to ignite in you a passion for a deeper revelation or a deeper relationship. And sometimes it just feels very informational. And then sometimes I, know, I say, I know when I, when I say this, they're going to they go crazy with this. I love it. And then sometimes it's like, I'm just giving you information. But the Word of God is the same Word of God no matter how it makes you feel. And you respond to the word, regardless of whether it made you jump or not. Because if you study it, and if you stay true to it, and if you stay consistent with it, it is planting, it is developing a root system in your heart, and it is transforming you. But you won't always feel it, you start to know it. And then it becomes your identity. I could ask anybody in this room, when's the last time you felt like yourself? And you really couldn't articulate it because you've been yourself your whole life. But you don't struggle with your identity because it's who you are, no matter how you feel. So be mindful that not every lesson is going to be a, wow, I see heaven cracked open lesson. Sometimes it's really just teaching you something. And then you will have those moments where it's like, man, we can blow this roof off. And I love those moments, but I also love the teaching ones. Tonight, is going to be a teaching one. And if you love good teaching, you're in the right place. I'm going to say there's almost the exact same scriptures that Pastor Diana said. Let's go to 1 Peter. I'm not even going to pretend. Let's go to 1 Peter. Let's go to chapter 3. Let's go to verse 18. We're talking about the work of the ministry. So here's the question. I, I like to deal with the Lord in questions because... Doubt comes when questions aren't answered. So I'm always asking God questions, because that helps me to combat doubt, which is the seed of unbelief. Now, doubt in and of itself won't stop your faith, but doubt left unchecked will become unbelief over time. So I'm always asking God questions. And when he has ordained that it's not important for me to know, he'll tell me. But until then, I'm going to ask. So my question was, Lord, what is the purpose of the church in the earth? Now, that's kind of an obvious question, right? We think we know the answer to that. We think we know the answer to the purpose of the church in the earth because, well, it's to win souls for Christ, okay? What else? Is that it? How do we do that? Why haven't we been around for a couple thousand years? Why haven't we done that yet? We've had a good 2,000 years to win the world for Christ. Why isn't the world won? What happened? Where did we go wrong? See, if you don't study those things, you, you get into a, first, first Peter chapter 3, verse 18. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself because I kind of want to just dump all this on you at once. But I want to parse it out to you in a way that you can, you can digest it. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. He's talking about when Christ went into hell, and then when he was resurrected, before he ascended out of hell, he went to the place called Abraham's bosom, where all of the righteous dead were, because they weren't born again, so they couldn't go to heaven. But they had followed the law, or they had a relationship with God in the Old Testament, and so they didn't go into the suffering part of hell, they went into what was called paradise, which is where, if you had faith in God but you were not born again, you were there until the Messiah could come and bring you out. And it was a prison for the soul, but it wasn't the torture of hell, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. And that's a whole historical thing. The like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's, here's the point we're trying to get to. Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Keep, keep a pin on that verse 22. Jesus has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now I go to Ephesians chapter 6. We were just here on Sunday, so you should still know where it is. We know this one very well. Ephesians, six chap- Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rule of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Peter says that Christ has been given all authority and power over all powers and angels and authorities. Paul says we wrestle against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness, the same authorities. So here is my question. How is it that we wrestle against the same powers that Jesus has authority over? I guess that's me. Maybe my batteries, I don't know. How is it that we wrestle against the same powers? Hold on for technical difficulties. No, 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 I'm gonna keep keep the lapel on. I'm all right. It might just be a cable thing. How is it that we wrestle against the same authorities that Jesus has authority over? That was my question. And what is the role of the church when it comes to those things? See, if you don't understand how this thing is set up, spiritual warfare is very difficult. Most of us don't understand spiritual warfare because we don't understand our place in the spiritual hierarchy. What we think is still, and this is going to kind of get beat over the head a little bit, we still think Old Testament when it comes to spiritual warfare. When it comes to spiritual warfare, we still think Old Testament. And because we still think Old Testament, we don't understand our place in the spiritual hierarchy. You see, we think that we're in the same position that Daniel was when Daniel prayed and it took 21 days for the angel to get an answer to him because the demonic forces that were over his region of the world fought against the archangel that was bringing Daniel's answer to him. And because that answer was coming, it took 21 days for that archangel to get to Daniel to give him his answer. And that's because in the Old Testament, the principalities and powers and rules of the darkness of this world had a legal authority over the earth. It was Adam's authority. Adam gave it up to Satan. And Satan built his kingdom there. Now, real quickly, when we talk about the air and the heavenlies and things, for those of you that may not be up to speed, there are three heavens. There is heaven, the home of God, the planet heaven, the dimension where God rules and reigns over all the universe. That's heaven. Then there are the heavens which exists above the earth. Now in the natural, you can't see into the heavens. You see the sky, and you see outer space. Planet heaven is not in outer space, and it's not in the sky. But outer space in the sky, if you could see it in the spirit, is the domain of the kingdom that was set up to run the affairs of the earth. It's a spiritual kingdom. Originally, it was Adam's kingdom. And Adam gave it to the devil, and so the devil put all his people in place. He put all his demonic elements in place, and he's giving them assignments over various regions of the world, which is why you see certain sins more prevalent in certain countries, certain neighborhoods, certain communities, certain states, certain different areas, even different families. It's a a very complex hierarchy that goes from the devil all the way down to What's happening in your home? And when you start dealing in spiritual warfare, like Paul instructs us to do in Ephesians 6, you have to understand what you're warring against. But here's the thing. When God defeated, when Jesus defeated the devil at the resurrection, he took control over the, he took back all the power that Satan had taken from man. And then he gave that power to us. He gave that power over all of that to us. So the question is why are we still warring against those principalities and powers? Here's why because we don't, we have not yet accepted, like Pastor Diana said on Sunday, that that authority is our authority. We're fighting as if we're still in the Old Testament that the devil has the right to operate in that environment, and we have to defend ourselves against it. And that's not true. He has no more rights. In the Old Testament, the devil had rights because he took Adam's authority, and God had to pay the price for that with the blood of Jesus to give us our authority back. But now that that's been done, the devil has no more legal rights. But just because you've been operating... Just because you're operating illegally doesn't mean you're just going to move. You have to be moved out. And one of the failures of the church, especially the modern church, is we've forgotten how to do spiritual warfare. We've become a cultural, we've become a culture-based, community-based organization. Nothing wrong with engaging with culture and community, but it has to be the spearhead of spiritual warfare. When the church engages with culture and community, it is designed to represent our takeover of what is ours by right. Paul understood this, which is why Paul said, put on the whole armor of God, because you're going into a battle. It's not a defensive armor, it's an offensive armor. You don't need a sword if you're on defense. You need a sword, which is the word of God, according to Ephesians chapter six, because you're going out to battle. You see, Jesus beat the head and regained the authority for us and then gave us that authority. But if we don't think it's our authority, we will let the devil's kingdom continue to operate. And one of the ways that I've seen that happen is when it comes to, I don't like to get political, but we don't get political. When it comes to political matters and things of that nature, many Christians are very complacent. Because as long as it's not affecting us, we don't think it matters. We look at what's happening in China and Russia and other parts of the world, and we go, man, they're killing Christians over there. That's messed up. And then we go right back to our complacency. As if the devil is just satisfied with China. He's not. Why is China that way? Because we failed them. The world is the way it is because we failed the world. And if we don't start taking responsibility for our place in the spiritual hierarchy, the chaos in the heavenlies is our fault. Now we didn't cause it, but we are responsible for fixing it. Otherwise, we don't need the armor of God to go to war against it. You don't go to war to be at war. You go to war to conquer. You go to war to win. The war is not the end. The war is the process by which we take back what is now ours rightfully. The devil is squatting in our kingdom. And we've accepted it because we read Ephesians 6, And we saw it as the the natural state of things. Oh, we wrestled against those powers and rules of darkness, therefore, that's the way it's supposed to be. No, Paul wasn't saying that's the way it's supposed to be. He's saying that's the way it is. Because when Paul wrote this, the church had just got started. And there was a lot of work to be done. And he was equipping the Ephesian church to do the work. If Paul knew that 2,000 years later we'd still be there, He might have wrote something a little different. There are victories we should have long won and held on to because Christ already gave us the head. He gave us the green light to go into that kingdom and take it back. These regions of the world where people are suffering shouldn't be this way. Two thousand years after Christ has ascended and given us his power. And just because generations prior to us have dropped the ball and failed does not mean we get to do that. We don't get to continue the culture of spiritual failure. We have to master spiritual warfare. The primary purpose of the church. Here's the thing. Jesus's church, who we are, is Jesus's body in the earth. Now, when Jesus was in the earth as a man, He exercised dominion over every demon he encountered. He never questioned the natural order of things. The natural order was him in charge. He gets what he wants, and they don't get a say. No demon ever approached Jesus. Jesus never approached a demon, and they had a compromise. Jesus said, this is what you will do. This is what you will not do. And they didn't get a a vote. It wasn't, well, you know... The madman of Gadara has been over there a long time. That's just Gadara. Jesus said, I'm going over there. And when I go over there, I don't care how crazy. Let's go there. I want to show you something. I'm going to the other scripture, Mama. So don't be mad at me. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. This is the core value of the church. We have, to re- we have to re-establish what the church's primary mission is. Because food banks and, and, and children's churches and, and community outreaches are all great. Churches should be doing those things. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a part of our commission. But it rests on the strength of our spiritual warfare capability. You see... In the absence of proper spiritual warfare, you will only judge the success of a church by its size. You will only judge the success of a church by its prominence. Because you're not looking into the spirit. You're looking into the natural and you're saying, well, we don't have a building like they have a building. Or we don't have a ministry like they have a ministry. Or we don't have the, the numbers that these people have. Because you think that's what makes a church successful. And you think that's the marker of a successful ministry. But Jesus' ministry began and ended with spiritual warfare. And the commission to carry out his mandate to take back the heavenlies was left to us. It was left to us. And we cannot coexist peacefully with the darkness of this world and call ourselves the children of the light. We can't let Hollywood stay the way it is and call ourselves children of the light just because it's not over here. Because look at how they invade once you allow it. Pastor Diana said anything you're willing to live with, you can't get rid of. I like to put it this way. Anything you're willing to live with, you'll die with. Anything you're willing to live with, you'll die with. Because the devil's you give him an inch, he'll take him out. The Bible says give no place to the devil. That means... Every place the devil has was given to him. Because if we're commanded not to give him a place, we must have the ability to deny him a place. So if he has a place, it's a place we gave him. That simple enough? It makes sense to me, right? I want to put some fire under you to get spiritually warfare-minded, and we're going to talk about some... Elements of spiritual warfare that we've kind of forgotten about or swept under the rug and never attended to because we think it makes us sound crazy. Well, everything spiritual sounds crazy in the natural. That's the whole point. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Neither could any man tame him. That's an interesting phrase. The Lord said this to me, it checked my spirit. Neither could any man tame him. The Lord said, and if you're taking notes, write this down. He said demonic possession and demonic control is characterized by a lack of discipline. When you cannot tame an undisciplined environment, you are dealing with demonic activity. One of the chief hallmarks of demonic activity is a lack of... I keep trying to fill out what that noise is. I know it's, it's this cable wrapped around me some kind of way. And so what happens, was oh, a good reminder. <laughs> a lack of discipline, spiritual and natural discipline, accompanies demonic activity. You see, when we think of the word demonic, now I know when I was growing up, forgive me, mother, forgive me, father. When I was growing up, just about everything on TV was demonic. <laughs> Not wrong, because everything on TV is demonic. But usually, when we talked about something being demonic, there was a monster in it, a ghost, some kind of supernatural going on. And we avoided those things because they were depictions of demons and things of that nature. And when I got older, I could watch what I wanted to watch. I learned. I learned, I'll stand still to keep that noise from happening, I learned that that is the least obvious or yeah, depiction of demonic activity. That's the least obvious. See, the devil is a trickster. He will not show you his true face. Those images, while many of them are demonically induced, that's not really where most of the demonic activity is happening. Because most of those things don't have a direct influence on your spiritual thought process. Most of the demonic television is not the stuff with demons and monsters in it. Most of the demonic television is the stuff with thoughts and ideas that challenge the truth of the word of God. And they can come in the form of things that look absolutely normal. Talk shows and, and TV programs about life and... and various, I don't know, dramas and comedies and things of that nature that introduce ideology. There's a lot of talk about ideology. And what happens is a lot of parents are shutting off the the violence and the sex and the blatant demonic depictions of things because they say, I'm protecting my kids. But they're letting their children watch things that are teaching them ideologies that go against the word of God and they're not checking that stuff. Many of the things we weren't allowed to watch as children weren't demonic visually, but they had a spirit on it that because my parents did a lot of spiritual warfare and were very spiritually sensitive, they were sensitive to the spirit on things, even if the thing itself was harmless, quote-unquote. Because their number one concern, and I appreciate this about them to this day, their number one concern was that we were not absorbing ideologies that challenge the word of God. Because an innocent something or another might have an idea that your mind can't process, that your spirit can't afford to absorb. And you have to be spiritually developed enough to know I can't listen to this. Even if it's not bad. And when you're not, you need parents that can do that for you. And I thank God to this day that our parents did that for us because children don't know. they'll watch anything you put in front of them just about. See, the devil will use his public face to scare you so that you run to his private face. He'll put all the sex and violence on a channel that he knows Christians won't watch. But then we'll go listen to a kind of inspirational, might be saved talk show host quote a few scriptures out of context. And you'll sit there and absorb that all day because he's using a scripture, but he's using it wrong or he ain't got no anointing on him. And you absorb that and it plants a seed in your spirit because the devil can't get in your heart unless you let him in. It plants a seed in your spirit that challenges your faith then when you go to believe God for changing your situation, you're trying to figure out why you don't believe him. Because there's some kind of inspirational thing that's been affecting your perspective of the kingdom of God that didn't have no sex, no violence, no drugs, no monsters in it. You're better off watching the monsters. Because at least you put up a defense when you see that. That ain't real. That That ain't right. That ain't real. You watch that, and most... Spiritually developed people can see that and it not do the same amount of damage. And I say, I'm not authorizing anything. I'm just saying, most of the time we have a spiritual defense up when we see something that's obviously a certain thing. It's the inobvious stuff that does the most damage. Because the devil just wants to get in. And he'll get in on something that's got scripture in it. Look, the devil tried to tempt God with scripture. The devil went to Jesus in the wilderness and quoted scripture to him to get Jesus to do the wrong thing. He's not above using what you're used to. He's not above using music you like. Gospel artists, you know, that's my, that's my pet project right there. That's my pet peeve. I'm in the music business. Most gospel musicians, most gospel artists ain't no more saved than you better off listening to R&B, just to be honest with you. And I'm I'm serious. And I'll tell you why. Because R&B got a job to do. Get you naked. And you know that's what R&B is for. That's what R&B's job is. So they don't mince words in R&B. They don't mince words. They tell you right up front, that's what we're trying to do. (laughs) But most of this gospel music is trying to change your perspective of God. It's trying to change your mindset about God. To something that is a lie, you're better off listening to R&B if you if you if you born again and married, cause at least you can do the stuff in the song. That's all I'm gonna say about that. My mama's here, I gotta keep it G-rated. Well, she had she that's right, she had enough kids. She know what it is. I'm not turning around either. I'm just going to look in the camera. It's just us. Dad know what it is. But you better off listening to R&B. Because you listen to a gospel song, and you turn all, you, you take all your defenses down. Oh, well, that's this artist. I've been listening to them since 1994. So? They ain't been preaching, they ain't been preaching right I whole time. Now, told you i it. They ain't been preaching right since 1994. But you've been listening to them because the song is fire. And half the time, they stole it from R&B artists anyway, or Andre Crouch, who was one of the last few good men of God writing music. I'm an Andre Crouch fan, in case you didn't know. You know, he was ordained by Kenneth Copeland, way back in the beginning of his career. And then he ended up getting uh, brought on by Billy Graham to be his worship director. And that's that's how he perfected his trade, that's how he perfected his craft. He was in rare air. So anyway, lack of spiritual discipline is a sign of demonic activity. And when I say demonic activity, I don't mean you full of demons. I mean you're influenced by the demonic. I want to redefine, or rather better define, what demonic means. Because when we think of demonic, we think of vampires and monsters and stuff. What we should be thinking is anything that is a spiritual influence opposite of the word of God. Because it ain't but two spiritual influences that can influence you, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. And if your thought process is not being influenced by the kingdom of God, it is 100% being influenced by the kingdom of darkness ain't nothing else out there. And what's supposed to happen is we, being agents of the kingdom of God, are supposed to go over to the kingdom of darkness and turn the lights on. You turn a light on in a room full of roaches, all the roaches scatter. They don't like light. How many demons should have scattered by now in our culture, in our world? See, the devil don't mind you building something that looks and feels spiritual and churchy. He does not care. The devil's built more religions than the church ever has. He knows religion better than we ever will. The devil does not mind us having our little followings and having our little ministries. He doesn't care. You're not hurting him there if you're not doing spiritual warfare. I'll give you an example of spiritual warfare. When I was a kid, not a kid. I was a teenager. And this is a practical example of spiritual warfare for those of you that have children. When I was well, early to mid-teens, my father and I were in a little shop where they sold like hair products and stuff. I forget what we were buying, and they were selling These, these back in the day, every black kid had a big chain. It was fake because we didn't have no money, but it was a big chain, and I wanted a big chain. I had a friend who wore them all the time. He was cool. He wore them. I wanted one. And I asked my dad to dad, I want one of them chains. He said, no, nah, you don't get them. And I was like, why not? He was like, you don't dress like that. Well, my best friend dressed like that. You don't have a problem with him. He said, you don't dress like that. So I didn't get the chain, and I never wore one. And then a little time went by, a few events transpired, and I learned something. That friend was being influenced away from the word, little by little, away from the church, little by little. It started with how he dressed, and then it transpired into music he listened to, and then it turned into the people he hung out with, and then it turned into the things he smoked until he was (laughs) gone. I haven't talked to him since, and this is over. What is this? 14 years ago, something like that. A long time ago. But it started with that chain. When, and I'm not knocking chains. If you wear a chain, nothing wrong with that. It's not that. I'm explaining it to you. Before we make a religion out of you can't wear gold chains. For me. The influence was the spirit on that friend, having an influence on me, to be more like that friend. And my father, being spiritually observant, he didn't mind me interacting with him, because I was raised to be a certain way. And as long as I stayed the way I was born to be, I could interact with anybody but I couldn't turn into anybody. And so every opportunity to turn into that person or some other person outside of the plan of God for me, my dad would be very aggressive about stopping it. And I couldn't figure out why he was so aggressively against it. I thought I looked good. But he saw the man I would evolve into if I followed that path. That's spiritual warfare. Most of your spiritual warfare It's decision-making. It's decision-making. You think spiritual warfare is being locked in the prayer closet for three hours a day. There is an element of that. We're going to talk about that later. But most of your spiritual warfare is day-to-day decision-making. And that's where most of us miss it. We're too easily influenced. We allow our children to be too easily influenced by things that we, haven't approved as being safe for the people they're supposed to grow into. I always tell people that our parents didn't raise children, they made adults. Childhood is automatic. As soon as they're conceived, they're going to be a child. But you're actually raising adults. At some point, they're going to be an adult, or they're supposed to be an adult. And that's what you're training them for, because they're going to be an adult way longer than they were a kid. And discipline, let me make a little side journey with the, few, with the little bit of time I have left. I was having this conversation with my wife. I don't want mama to get all excited, but we have been talking about children. Just talking about children. That's all I said. Don't get excited. I should have said nothing. I should have kept my mouth shut. I should have kept my mouth shut. Well, that'll, that'll buy us another couple years, I think. I will not buy us another couple years. We were having a spiritual conversation about children. And I made the observation that most believers mistake discipline and chastisement. And they're not the same thing. Now, listen to me, parents. Now, you can, this one's free. You can decide to follow this one or not because you can say, well, he don't have no kids. He don't know. But I was a kid and I'm a great adult. And I learned the difference early in life between discipline and chastisement. Chastisement is punishment for wrongdoing. Your kid does something you don't want them to do, you chastise them. The Bible calls it chastening. What you're doing is you're rubbing against a rough area that you want to shave down until it's smooth. And they have to reveal that rough area for you to smooth it out. Maybe your kid got too much lip. Maybe your kid doesn't listen very well. Maybe your kid is prone to violence, whatever the case may be. They reveal that to you, and then you chastise it so that it's controlled until it's overcome in their life. That's what chastisement is for. It's punishment for wrongdoing. And most people think that's discipline. They say, I discipline my kids. I don't know why they're crazy now. The whole time I was raising them, I disciplined them. Every time they did something wrong, I disciplined them. How come they in jail? What did I do wrong? We've heard that a lot. They would come to my parents and say, we discipline our kids just like you discipline your kids. How come your kids turned out all right and my kids went out and went crazy? Because you didn't discipline them. You just chastised them. Now chastisement is important. But discipline is at the beginning of a thing. You as the parent, set a direction for your child. Regardless of their personality, because you don't let let your child's personality tell you how they're going to be. You set a direction for them and you walk that path in front of them and you lead them down it. The word discipline comes from disciple. You can't make a disciple out of somebody if you're not somewhere. Even if the kid's not doing anything wrong, You judge them by the path you set them on, like that chain. There's a whole lot of guys wearing them chains. There's nothing wrong. But the path that my father and mother set me on didn't make room for that influence in me. So they chastised that tendency so that I could stay on the path they had laid out for me at the beginning of my life. They didn't wait for me to get into something and then figure out if it was okay for me. They established what would be okay for me by the plan God gave them about me when I was born. They went to God in the absence of my personality and said, Lord, who is this? And then they trained me to be what I am today. So there were things that were totally fine for other kids, not a sin, not against the kingdom of God, not against the word that weren't fine for me because I was being trained to be something specific. I was being trained to be something particular. That's discipline. Now, oftentimes, discipline and chastisement will meet up because chastisement is a good tool for maintaining discipline. But when you go into the military they don't just chastise you. They discipline you. And the reason they can discipline you is because they've had enough soldiers to know what a soldier's supposed to do. They've been in enough wars to know what a good soldier's supposed to look like. They're not making it up based on how you respond to it. When you, go in, when you get off that bus, they've already figured out what your haircut's gonna look like. They don't ask you, how do you like your hair? The freedom to style your own hair is earned through discipline. Adulthood is the reward for discipline. I have a wonderful marriage. I'm going to get a little grown for a second, but not too grown. I enjoy sex. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I love it. I have a beautiful wife. Takes very good care of me. But as a teenage boy, like every teenage boy who's ever breathed God's clean air, (laughs) it's all I could think about. And my father, because he had been a teenage boy, that's why fathers are so important. Because women have never been teenage boys, so they don't know what goes through the mind of teenage boys, and oftentimes it freaks them out when they find out. Not my son, yes, your son. (laughs) And everybody's son, including Jesus, he was a t- teenage boy once. Same thoughts challenged him. And good parenting and the word keeps that in check. It's not a sin until you sin. But you are going to be challenged with it. Especially my father. He was very aggressive with me about how I dealt with women and young ladies. In my teenage years, my early 20s, very aggressive. And I thought he I went a little hard sometimes, a little overboard. But his thought process was this, that is one thing that will destroy us, son. It'll destroy you. Now that I have passed the test of discipline, I can enjoy it to my heart's content. And you couldn't pay me to go back and be like all the other teenage boys and all the other young bachelors. You couldn't pay me to go back. I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't give this up for nothing. It's such an essential quality of my life because I passed the test. Now I have the freedom to cut my hair however I want. And I don't have warfare in my mind because discipline was laid out in front of me. If I was going to get off the path a little bit, a six foot four, 250 pound chastiser would pop out of the bushes and grab me in the neck. I have been pinned against the door more than once in my life. For those of you that knew dad at his prime, he was a big man and strong. This is as big as I've ever been in my life. Never had a chance. They say don't fight your father. It wouldn't have mattered. Never had a chance. There was no point in my life where I could have took my dad, ever. And I always thought he went a little too hard, but he knew me. He said, drugs ain't going to be your problem, man. You ain't going to have a problem with drugs, drinking, partying. That's not your personality. But the women's. (laughs) And he was right. So he taught me to preserve it all for one woman. Oh, now I go crazy. But I'm free to do that. That's discipline. You plan out your child's future before they tell you their personality. You plan it out. And if you miss the planning phase a little bit, they're still your children. They still belong to you. They're still the product of you. And you still have the authority to do that. Don't just fall back on chastisement, because children are looking for ways to avoid chastisement. And they get more sophisticated the older they get. They don't change because of chastisement. The role of chastisement is to keep them on the path of discipline. But if you don't have a path for them to walk down, you're just punishing them for upsetting you. And they know the difference. And they will judge you accordingly. And as soon as they're able to get free of you, they're going to go off and do the undisciplined life because you never gave them discipline. You just chastise them. You made me look bad, I'm going to whoop you. You caught me too much money, I'm going to punish you. You made too much noise, I'm going to punish you. Most of our chastisement and my sister Casey can attest to this didn't come from doing things that other kids would have been bad. It came from doing things outside of the plan of God. Most of our chastisement came from violating a spiritual principle. That's where it came from. Won't no drugs, won't no smoking, won't no sex, won't none of that. It was We're not going to pray today? Uh, No, sir. I got a curtain ride for that one when I was a kid. You don't want to thank God for these blessings? No, sir. And people thought we was crazy. They thought we were extreme. That's fine. They didn't leave no marks. But they set a direction in us. You couldn't. I love my childhood because I was spiritually secure. That's spiritual warfare 101. It's decision-making. We're going to get into the prayer side of it later, because I'm out of time. Am I out of time? Yeah, I got got two minutes. Just enough time to wrap. We're going to get into the the, the prayer side of it later. But the primary purpose of the church in the earth today, as it has been for the last 2,000 years, is to take that kingdom back. It's not to just wrestle with it indefinitely. And I want to... I want to challenge that thought process because we've gotten too comfortable with the war. We've been in the war so long, we don't know what victory looks like. We've had moments like when this country was established. That was a moment for Christianity to thrive. And we got complacent because everybody in America was Christian for way too long. And Christian values were everywhere, and the Ten Commandments were on the steps of every courthouse. And you know, there was prayers in school, and everything closed on Sunday. And it looked like God was running this place. But the devil won't satisfy it. So little by little, he took this from us, he took that from us, he took this. Knowing full well he didn't have a legal right to it, but we didn't know. You know what we said? We said, mm, that devil, mm, the world's going crazy. Mm, the world's going down like we don't live in this world. <laughs> if it go down, it's going down around us. And then we built churches to protect ourselves from the world we're supposed to operate in. We're supposed to run this place. The devil lied to us about money and we believed it. This said money was evil. Okay, so if money's evil, he'd keep all the money and we'd be broke. Then we'd go to him when we need stuff. And then he tells us what, how to spend it. Read the Book of Revelation, you find out that the world is supposed to go bankrupt, but there's a small remnant of people where all the wealth is going to be. We're supposed to be that remnant. I'm going to get in Revelation one of these days, but not tonight. Amen.